Hey everybody, this is the AS Natural Health Podcast. I'm Michael Eisner and today we have Peter Winslow. Peter is 59 years old, lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. Peter is the founder and head coach at the AS Victors Association. In his practice, he combines his practical life experiences with formal schooling and extensive training in conventional Western sciences, Eastern philosophies, behavioral modification, personal training, meditation, mindfulness, and other disciplines. Peter was my coach and, uh, and led me to the healthiest years of my life. After 26 years of AS symptoms, he's a force in this autoimmune healing movement. It's a real pleasure to have you here, Peter. Hey, thanks, Mike. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good to see you, too, man. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, so, hot summer in uh, Scottsdale? Nah, no, nah, it's all in your imagination. Not very hot at all. Actually, we're having a lot of thunderstorms right now. Pretty wicked stuff. The uh, monsoon season has arrived, so it's cooled off quite a bit. Very cool. Right on. Indeed. Okay, so um, we'll dive right into it with um, your upbringing. Just a brief, brief description of your family life and what it was like being raised as Peter Winslow. Peter Winslow. Well, all right. You know, a common question people start with is where are you from and what do you do and so forth. I've always had difficulty with those questions because I don't really know where I'm from. I know where I was born. I was born in Topeka, Kansas, which is dead center of the continental United States. But my dad was a military intelligence officer and we moved overseas right away. So I lived in the Philippines and uh, in Asia as a child, but I'm not Asian. I'm American. And so we moved around quite a bit, military family, and uh, I ended up here in Arizona. I just, I like it here a lot. In fact, one of the reasons I stayed in Arizona was because of ankylosing spondylitis. Very dry, hot climate here was good for it as opposed to a cold, damp climate. Right. And I just got used to living here and I like it. Cool. Right on. Yeah, Arizona's beautiful. I love it there. All right. So, um... When did you start having AS symptoms? How old were you and what were they specifically in your body? So what happened with me, Michael, was I had an injury. I uh, fell off a roof when I was 20 years old and I ruptured some discs. And I didn't have insurance and I didn't have the money to pay for the surgery that the doctors wanted to do to remove the discs. So I developed chronic pain in my back. And four years later, uh, as I was going back and forth to doctors and taking drugs and so forth, um, they diagnosed me with ankylosing spondylitis. So I was 24 years old at that point. And I had been in pain since the initial accident when I was 20. So at that point, I'd had it for about four years, the, the consistent pain and uh, flare-ups and spasms and all that. So... I had that continually until I was about 30 years old when I healed myself. Okay. Um, so what, what, what were your common symptoms? Like, did you have inflammation in your spine, your sacroiliac joint? Did you have it in your neck, eyes? Terribly, terribly. It was mostly low back for me. Sacroiliac uh, was definitely inflamed. I could barely walk. There were days I couldn't even get out of bed. I had uh, all kinds of other radiating pain in my back and my legs and my hips and so and so you know, it also it also led to depression and addiction to medications sciatica 
other conditions of pain and chronic illness. So what, what kind of medication were you prescribed and what kind of medication were you addicted to? So the only medication they prescribed me was Motrin. Motrin, okay. What is, what is really that? Anti-inflammatory. It's like an NSAID. Okay. Didn't really work too very well, so I medicated with alcohol and drugs, street drugs, marijuana, LSD, cocaine, whatever I could get my hands on. There was a period of time early on before my diagnosis when I was medicating. I was living in the streets and I was medicating with sniffing glue and gasoline cans and shoe polish and other chemicals to get high because I didn't have any money to buy alcohol or drugs. So that was a pretty uh, challenging period of my life. Right. And you didn't have any... F Where was your family? Like, why couldn't you go... Your family so, help you out or... What? Right. So, uh, no, my, my dad had kicked me out when I was 18 years old and said, don't ever come back. Okay. He was a military combat commander, and he'd done a couple tours in Vietnam as a intelligence officer and then as a fighter pilot. And it was a really dark war. A lot of pain body came out of that, and he came home with the anger issues and alcoholism that just he took out on the family, you know? You hear about it now with PTSD, but it's much darker than you might imagine. And so I was a recipient of that, and turns out it was a good thing overall in the long run, but at the time it was very rigorous and difficult. Looking, looking back on it, do you think um, your upbringing or that environment being raised in it had anything to do with maybe <laughs> ankylosing spondylitis, or do you think it was only brought on by that accident? Well, let me think about that here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think there's a connection. Okay. So, yeah, absolutely it's true that the pain body uh, drove me in a direction of hiding who I really was and living a duality, living a dual life. What do you mean so, by that? Like uh, during the day I was a straight-A student. My dad came back from Nam. I was in high school, and I was a straight-A student, athlete in school. But at night I was a hoodlum getting high and drinking and stealing cars and causing any kind of commotion I could to rebel against the authority and dictate the dictatorship of my house and upbringing. So that led me to mental instability, which affected my immune system. And after I injured my spine, apparently it took a little while, but uh, generated into ankylosing spondylitis because of the genetic profile, you know, the HLA-B27. That's what I developed. My sister developed a different condition, Crohn's disease, which is also related to HLA-B27. And it comes from the turbulence of uh, adverse childhood experiences. How's your sister doing? She's good. I've coached her a lot, and she's gotten the help that she needs. Her path is different. She's a yoga master, so... She's really looked to that for salvation and solace, and it's worked really well for her. She's asymptomatic. Great to hear that. Um, tell me about, <laughs> I mean that sincerely, <laughs> I didn't mean to feel like so. That's great to hear. I'm happy for your sister, she's okay. Um, in terms of your healing, you've told me a lot about it and I've read about it, um, your time in the gym, um, and that being, uh, a big part of your healing. Oh yeah, so, saving grace. So what was that and how did you figure out to do that or how did you get brave enough to do that? 
So it wasn't really a matter of bravery, really, Michael. It was just an instinct. I knew that if I were going to heal, I'd have to take the responsibility for myself and do whatever I could to make a stronger, better body. And in the interim and in the same time, I was creating strength in my mind and spirit. So I went to the gym and, and saw that everybody there was there for the same reason, to get strong and get healthy. And I weighed like 130 pounds. I'm 5'11", just under 6 feet tall. And I weighed 130 pounds at that time, which is stick figure theater pretty much. <laughs> so I wanted to build my physique back up. And I used weight training and bodybuilding because it hurt more than the pain in my back. So I could transfer that crushing ankylosing spondylitis flare-up pain into something worse so that the pain in, uh, from bodybuilding kept me sore so that I wouldn't notice the pain of AS. I, I've seen similar things with people who, for instance, have migraine headaches and they bang their head on a concrete floor because that pain feels better than the migraine pain. And so they supplant that migraine pain with the topical head crushing pain. So it was a similar function for me at that point when I started bodybuilding. Wow. Okay. Um, didn't you, I mean, so you were just lifting so much weight. So what about your joints and ligaments? Did you, I mean, destroy them in the process or did they keep up with that intense regime? So I built, it took me a couple of years to build up to the really heavy stuff, but yeah, I had injuries in the gym from training overly hard. Uh, I was lifting a total of about 85 to 95,000 pounds each workout, if you count each repetition and set. That's a whole lot of weight. That's a pretty big, rigorous workout, but I didn't get to that level until about three years in. Uh, but after the first year of training, of bodybuilding, my pain went away. And I thought, this is amazing. I love this. This is now my new focus. So I was no longer focused. Yeah, I was no longer focused on ankylosing spondylitis and learning everything I could about it and studying it and reading about it and finding out more about it. I stopped all that and started reading about getting healthy and growing stronger and what actually happens in the body in response to resistance and weight training. And so I developed meditations that I used at the same time to train my mind and body to work together. And after a year of that, the pain was gone. Okay, um, I apologize. I think we missed a huge part of like how did you get from living on the street to making the choice to, and, and that's my fault, but how did you get from living on the street and being maybe not in the best frame of mind and body to being inspired to get better? And yeah, then I so definitely I was... want to talk about those meditations and your workout regime. Okay, so I was uh, homeless on the streets for about 17 months, and I learned a lot about human nature, because a lot of the people who were homeless used to be successful people in their own right. They had happy, healthy, functioning lives, and then somebody pulled the carpet out from under them, and everything changed. So I went through that process myself, so to speak, and I had a lot of bouts, like I said, with addiction and depression and so forth. And um, in the height of a suicide attempt, I found the answer. There was a still, small voice in my heart that jumped up and spoke to me. And it said, you're going to make it. 
You've got big things to do in this world. Don't end it now. Don't end it here. It just really said you're going to make it. And I felt, oh, there's bigger things than this. And just my ego and who I think I am. My life is about something much bigger than just me. And that blew my head off. That, I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that. And it was really the voice, it's called the still small voice of the heart. It's a spiritual awareness. It's not the gab, gab, gab talk of the incessant monkey mind of ego and the cognitive mind. It comes from the heart. And that's what led me off the streets. And I got myself into college. I write about all that in my book, Heal for Real. You can read up on that. I think you've already read the book. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. But that was the turning point was the still small voice within me saying, you're going to do this. Your life is bigger than you think. It's about more than just you. Okay. And so that led me to do whatever I could to commit to living my life, you know, really becoming a person who makes a difference in this world rather than just thinking about me, myself and I all the time, you know, the neurosis of ego and narcissism. So, so where did you start to, well, what happened was there was an intervention. There was a a guy who uh, saw my plight and said, you know, if you want to get off the streets, you can get off the streets. I write about him in the book too. His name was Pokey. And he was working at a cattle and citrus ranch in uh, northern Arizona. And he said, they're hiring out there right now if you want to go work at the ranch. They give you room and board and three square meals a day and four bucks an hour. So, you know, it'll get you off the street. So I rode with him up there. I didn't have a car or anything. And uh, started uh, to work, working in the orange groves, picking citrus. And then after the... uh, First month of that, they invited me to work with the cattle. And so I became a cowboy and was riding herd and flanking cattle on Day Creek Ranch. This is all the time yeah. with ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Constant pain. So I'll tell you, man, working with cattle and being a cowboy, you'll find muscles and joints that you never knew you had because the pain is just incredible. Unmitigated excruciating pain and so I just had to work through it or die right it's my choices so I worked through it and I saved my money I worked there for a little under a year and saved every penny I made came back to Phoenix Arizona and uh, started working my way through college got a job at night working as a bartender which fed my addiction for alcohol so I killed two birds with one stone (laughs) 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 but I worked my way through school and uh Got into a professional life, which I hated. Okay. And the ankylosing spondylitis really got bad at that time. You know, I was in sales, mm. and I was engaged to a very beautiful girl who was politically connected here in Arizona. And it was all about the image, you know, how good we look and how much money we make and where we live. And it was killing me. So when I was 29 years old, I said, I can't do this anymore. So I fired my fiance and <laughs> sold my house. I quit my job and I went on a healing spiritual journey. And that's when I found when I really got serious about the mental connection. And I'd been bodybuilding for a little while at that point, but that was when I really got serious about it. And a year later, the pain was gone. 
Okay. Does that help? It helps a lot. Thank you very much for going back. I appreciate that. I think it's crucial information about your story. Um, What were those, the mental part? What what was that, the mind part you were talking about, the the meditations you were working on in... uh, in conjunction with the physical exercise? Well, I hadn't really begun meditating yet, Michael. I hadn't studied all the stuff that I uh, was going to do for the next 10 years, 20 years. But uh, I did develop meditations like the Orange Tree Meditation, which I've written about in that book. Because of working in the orange groves at Bay Creek Ranch, I had a good visual for what these trees are and what they look like. And I juxtaposed my body as a living, growing entity like a tree, creating new cells like the trees create bright, vibrant fruit. And the old fruit falls off, dies away, and disintegrates into the ground and creates fodder and fertilizer for the new cells to grow. And so I developed a, a bedtime meditation where I saw that happening within my body, where the cells that were old and diseased were falling off and decaying and creating the nutrient-rich mulch for the new cells, the daughter cells, to be born from. And I just meditated on that as orange trees growing, dropping their fruit, growing new trees from the seeds of the fruit, dropping more fruit. And I write more about it in the books. But that's the first meditation I ever used was one I created myself. And when I was training in the gym... I would put my mind in the body part I was training. So if I was doing bench press for chest, I'd I'd think for my chest. I'd put my mind and my consciousness in that chest area and feel the blood surging to the scene, incinerating in the blast furnace of the mitochondria with oxygen, fueling the fire and the elements of nutrition, you know, vitamins and micronutrients going to scene to create new and healthy cells. And so I used that meditation during my workouts. People thought I was crazy, but I healed from an incurable disease that way. So I didn't exactly know what had happened. I spent the next 10 years studying how the hell did this happen? And I, I went to medical training. I pre-med, I wanted to be a doctor so I could help people heal. And after the first year or two of pre-med training, I realized they don't teach what I do. I mean, they teach how to prescribe medications and fight illness rather than work with your body to heal it. So I diverted my attention to behavior modification and uh, nutrition, got certified in half a dozen healing arts, and uh, the rest is history from there. But that's when I first began to be aware of meditation. And then I began studying, uh, like I said, medicine, Eastern philosophies, Western sciences, and other things, the healing arts, to discover how the hell did I do this? What happened in my body? And I discovered that the brain is the central locus of the condition, not the body. Like the pain was in my sacroiliac and my low back, L4 and 5 were always inflamed. Uh, And there's a pinch there in those uh, vertebrae with the sciatic nerve. It's the brain that experiences the pain and sends the pain signal back to the body. Once you rebuild the body and repair the damage, the brain has to be rebuilt as well. And it's a process called neuroplasticity, which we can talk about if you want. But that's what I coach my people to accomplish. And that's how they get results. 
rather than fighting the situation and fighting their bodies and fighting the disease and fighting their lives and fighting their purpose. Let's make some peace here and take essential steps in a positive direction that help the mind heal the body. Because people have a hard time understanding this. It's certainly not taught in Western sciences, but the mind has everything to do with the body. If you try to take the mind out of the body, good luck with that, you would probably die. And if you have a body without a mind, I think that's called a zombie, right? So the two are interlinked and locked together in a way that people don't really understand. And the proof I have of this is now quite uh, interesting to the medical sciences. It's called stress. You've heard of it. The listeners on this call have heard of stress. That's the mind having an effect on the body. Stress is a mental condition that affects the body. That's the mind-body connection. The perfect example of it is stress. And so the stress from my childhood experiences and what I went through afterwards growing up created the imbalances that caused the immune system to go sideways and then activate the genetics of disease. So I found a way to reverse that cause of AS and repair the damage. And that's when I found success with it. And so this is what I teach others to do. Well, can you expand? Like, well, I'd like to hear more about neuroplasticity, but I will say that coaching with you was one of, was totally not, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, but I will say that it's important to mention that there was so little talk about ankylosing spondylitis, and it kind of freaked me out. Like, I, I was like, what are, what are we doing? Like, because there was so much time that you diverted my attention from pain, from the problems, from the symptoms, and into just creating a, a better life or you, you a purpose. Know, purpose, yeah, to, to look for purpose and discover what my purpose was. So does that go on, goes along with uh, neuroplasticity? So I'm, that's the big mistake, Michael, that people make. They study their disease, and the more they look at it, the more real it gets to them. And the more they study about it, the more entrenched it becomes in their body. And the more they learn about it, the more empowered it gets, and the more power it takes over in their body. And they keep focusing on it. So then the business model of the medical community is to fight the symptoms. It's a great business model. It creates customers for life. And the pharmaceutical companies, most people may not realize this, but they're actually profit-driven. Pharmaceutical companies make profits. And so it's not necessarily in their best interest for everybody to heal. Now, I have nothing against pharmaceuticals when they're effective, but when they're not effective, what do you do? you got to do something different. So that's what you're just talking about. We did something different than what you expected. You expected we were going to learn about AS, we were going to look at AS, we were going to study AS, we were going to fight AS, we were going to feel AS. And we didn't do any of that. Just enough for you to get an idea of what's taking place in your mind and your body. And then we direct the focus towards healing and learning about what heals and what makes peace with your system and how to find who you really are and what's the purpose that you got this, this condition that medical science calls incurable. Why did you get this and what can you learn from it? That's as far as we go into it. 
So how does a person heal? How, how do people heal? By letting go of inner contradiction. Now that's a mouthful in itself. I could talk about that for the next hour and a half. Uh, but basically, if I was coaching a person like I coached you, I taught you the answer to that. And people listening to this call may not know what it is. But the cause of the imbalance in the body is inner contradiction. And it always comes back to the same things in the body-mind complex. So what we do is we let go of the need to control the things that we don't like and let them take their course, which sounds crazy to people. Well, I'm supposed to let AS take its course in my body? Yes. Once you learn what it's there to teach you, you begin to heal. Didn't you notice that as an experience with coaching with me? I did. So that's the big mistake, again, that people are making is they're focused on their illness instead of focused on their healing. So we have this paradigm in the Western world that says healing comes from the doctor. So little children are brought up to know that if they get the sniffles, you go to the emergency room and that's where healing happens. Now, when I was a kid, if I got the sniffles, my mom would just put me in bed and keep me home from school and it'd be gone the next day. But today, people go and get drugs and they, they say this is where healing comes from. So it's exogenous. It's from outside of them. And they're looking for something outside of them to fix them. When the cure is in them internally, they have it with them right now, free and clear, waiting to take place. Your body is a healing machine. There's a lot of doctors and, and researchers out there saying this to people. And somehow people really aren't ready to hear it. But your body knows how to heal itself. So if you cut your finger... It'll heal itself back up without you having to know how it does that. But if you cut the finger of a dead body, you know, you cut a cadaver finger, it doesn't heal. The healing essence has left the body with the life force energy. And that life force energy is what heals the body. It's internal, not external. Now, if you break your arm, you want to go to the emergency room, you want to get medications for pain and let them set the bone and put it in a cast. But it isn't the cast that heals the broken bone. The bone and the cells in the bone knit themselves back together internally. When you set the bone properly, it heals properly. So the healing aspect is internal. The treatment aspect is external. And yet people have been kind of led to believe the opposite. So how do they heal? They align their body, their mind, and their essence in a way that is natural and cohesive to healing and the body follows the mind. The body always follows the mind. If you believe you can do a thing, you can. You might have to try it once, twice, three times, but if you continue to believe you can do this, you will. If you don't believe you can do it, there's no psychology that says you can accomplish what you don't believe you can do. So you gotta get your mind and body in alignment with the essence and the purpose of your life, and that heals. So you don't fight the condition anymore, Michael. You let go of it. And it falls away naturally. That's what happened with me. That's what happened with you and others who use this method. Does that help? It does. It helps. It helps a lot. And uh, kind of, it reminds me of Joe uh, Jose Saldana. Uh, he's a guy that you you didn't really help, although he got a huge amount of resource from your website, which was a tremendous help. But you didn't actually coach him. Is that right? Right. Right. I never met him. You never I talked to him. 
talked to him a couple times in emails and he got my books and read them and put right. two and two together and healed himself. So, I mean, you definitely helped him a lot, but not through coaching, which blows my mind. I, I um, interview him. So if anyone wants to hear his story, uh, it's a great, it's a great pot. It's a great episode. So check it out. But basically he healed himself just by reading all your material, um, which is amazing. And, you, and you've also, you helped out, um, Ashutosh Sharma, who I didn't know, but we trained together on a group call with you. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and he, uh, I didn't know, but he told me after, after I had interviewed him that you didn't charge him any money. And so, right, right. He was in India. Right. He's a guy in India and, yes. and there are a lot of people in India who are willing to do the work but don't have the uh, funds or the resources to be able to engage my services. Right. So my question is, if Jose Saldana and Ashutosh Sharma can be healed and they didn't pay anything, why, why is it that more people can't do this for free and why can't you help other people out for free? Well, I do help a lot of people for free, Mike. I do a lot of pro bono work. I have a lot of free resources available on my websites, pain control and other meditations and things that can help people. But when it comes to coaching, that's a cut above. That's different. Coaching requires a commitment. So that commitment is usually represented by skin in the game. You pay for services and you expect to get what you paid for. Think about multi-million dollar athletes and their coaches. These people come together to get results that are better than what they could get on their own and help them perform above and beyond what the other people are doing. If they don't have a commitment to one another to do that, it's too easy to fail. It's too easy to quit. So they have to make that commitment and put some skin in the game to get the results they want. And it's a, it's a process that takes some time. It takes a lot of my time and effort to be able to coach somebody to success. You know what we're doing? We're reversing... Uh, incurable disease. Does that sound like the easiest thing you've ever tried to do? <laughs> and yet these people who really are devoted, like Ashutosh contacted me 10 times and, and went out of his way to come to the groups and do whatever he could to, to get into it. He was, it was 3 a.m. in his part of the world when we were holding these groups and he was there bright and bushy tailed every time doing whatever he could. He was so committed to it. And he healed himself through my methods. So that's that's how that works. Thank you very much for answering that. I think it's really important. Um, if you can, can you talk about in your book, Heal for Real, one of the quotes you use is, our greatest challenges offer our greatest opportunities. Can you expand on that? That's a success principle, Michael. And it transcends common logic, but it goes really deep into philosophy that the greatest challenges that you experience and face either kill you or make you stronger. So the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said that very thing. He said that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. So the deeper you've been into the darkness of despair and depression, like I've been, the higher into light you can rise. It's like love. You won't allow anybody to love you more than you love yourself. And that's a spiritual reckoning and awareness that most people aren't necessarily onto. But if you only love yourself a little bit, which is, by the way, a duality to love oneself means there's two people present. <laughs> uh, 
but it's language that people can understand. So it's a linguistic convenience to use these terms to love yourself, for instance. If you only love yourself to this degree and somebody tries to love you more than that and show you more affection, you won't be comfortable with that. You won't allow them to do that. We'll only allow people to, to love us as much as we love ourselves and no more. So the deeper into the darkness you've been, the higher into light you rise. So your ability to take pain and suffering from losing a loved one is commensurate to the ability that you love them. If you didn't care very much about them, you're not going to be hurt very much when they leave. If you really deeply cared about them, it's going to hurt a lot when they leave. However, if you're in tune with the natural cycle of life, you'll recognize that nothing lasts forever. People terminate, you know, through the death experience, and they will, every one of us will leave this planet at some point in regard to the death experience. That which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. So the deeper into darkness you've been, the higher into light you will rise. It's like the swing of a pendulum, and it's one of the hermetic principles by which the universe operates. It's called the principle of rhythm. Everything has a rhythm and a flow. If you're out of alignment and out of the rhythm, then life is hard and challenging, and you don't quite know why you're getting what you're getting, and things crop up that you wish didn't happen, and you don't really realize that you're creating this stuff yourself, and you're the common denominator in your own life experiences. It just seems like you're a victim of circumstance or whatever else is going on with you because you don't understand the principles. And one of those principles is what you just asked about that quote. The, the deeper the challenges, the stronger we get from facing them and overcoming them. I think that that's a great segue into immaculate reception, which is something that you, uh, it, it's, it's your, your method, basically. Um, something that you introduced me to, and it also, after reading um, Lama Surya Das's um, Awakening the Buddha Within, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Eightfold Path. However, it's different. And so, it is different. It's different, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about Immaculate Reception? This is something that I suppose... It was huge in terms of me getting better and and me, I guess, living a, a healthier, more easy, funner life. It, it took a lot of weight off and explained, I guess, made a lot of sense out of why I was experiencing a lot of suffering in the past. So please expand and explain what Immaculate Reception is, if that's cool with you. Sure. So you notice that by using that, you weren't focused on pain and suffering. You were focused on the opposite, on receiving immaculately, which is what the term means that I, I created, immaculate reception. It's my proprietary system, but I borrow it from ancient sources. You know, this comes up through the Kabbalah and the mystery schools of uh, Raja Yoga and other teachings. I've cobbled together. I've taken from this school and from that school. I'm ecumenical in my approach, which means I borrow some from these guys and a little from this, and from those guys I get the other. And I synthesized it together in a process that makes it easy, quick, simple, and so highly effective to change your life for the better and experience incredible results with love, joy, health, wealth, and happiness, and peace of mind. So it's really the system, it's the secret system for manifesting anything that you would do. Everybody's heard of the secret and, and the law of attraction and manifesting. 
that's really kindergarten compared to what you're talking about now with my system immaculate reception. It's a five-phase process that encompasses everything that you experience in your life. And the five stages are this, being, thinking, speaking, doing, and receiving. Everything that you'll ever experience in your life is one of those five things. It's what you're being, what you're thinking, what you're speaking, what you're doing, or what you're getting as a result of what you're being, thinking, speaking, and doing. So when those things are out of alignment, people's lives go haywire and they don't understand why. They think that the, there's somebody else to blame. You know, it's the tax collector or the government or the family or the disease or the illness that's causing my problems. When what they're really experiencing is internal unalignment. So the system called Immaculate Reception that I've created is about how to align yourself with your highest purpose and then receive immaculately that which you're aligned to. You're already doing it, by the way. You're already you're speaking, you're doing, you're thinking, you're receiving. And if you don't understand how it all operates together, then you may not know why you're getting what you're getting. And that's true with people who have chronic illness. Chronic illness comes to us with a purpose, I've discovered. And so doctors don't study this because they don't study the mind. They don't necessarily study... Uh, the spiritual application or the essence of the human being that uh, is the life force energy within us. Like the Chinese medical practitioners talk about chi and it's called prana from the uh, Indian tradition, yogic traditions. But I studied it and I've learned that when you align yourself with the forces of nature and how your life, how life works, this is really a diagram of how life works. It's the anatomy of cause and effect. Cause and effect is the main law that runs this planet, that runs the universe. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's uh, one of Newtonian's laws of physics. We've all heard about it. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. That's called cause and effect. And that's what we're experiencing in our lives. We're creating the cause, and then we're experiencing the effect of what we're causing. This is why there's no cure for chronic illness, because they do what's called results-based medicine. Everybody says, yeah, that sounds good. I want results. Let's do results-based medicine. Yeah, and it, where it works, it's miraculous. But if it doesn't work in the case of chronic conditions, here's why. They're working in the world of results only. They're not going to the cause of what's making these results. The cause is internal, and it's happening in ways that they don't understand necessarily. So they're studying genetics, and they're studying the physical laws and aptitudes, which is the result of what's causing your condition. And what's causing your condition is inner conflict with what you're being, what you're thinking, what you're speaking, doing, and receiving as a result. And that's why I created the system called Macular Reception. It can be applied to anything, not just illness. I have people that turn it into multi-million dollar companies and incredible sustaining relationships of love and cherishing and respect. And athletic performance, you know, and other things as well. You can apply it to anything because it's, it's the anatomy of cause and effect, which is how life works. So I gave you the rudiments of that during our coaching together, and you see the results. Mm -hmm. You applied it to becoming free of the illnesses, free of the attachments, free of the addictions, free of the mental and emotional attachments you had that were causing the behavior to go sideways. 
And it's simple, isn't it? It's just being, thinking, speaking, doing, and receiving. Get them in alignment. So you're not being one thing and saying another, or thinking one thing and doing another, or, or, or being one way and speaking another. You, you, you back them up and get them in alignment with each other, which takes some, you've got to understand what's going on here to be able to do this. Take some time to learn what's going on with it. But that's the anatomy of how life works. So I apply this to my coaching practice with everybody who's ready for these teachings. Beautiful. I hope that wasn't too confusing. <laughs> no, I think it was good. I think it was good. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to quote you again. Lots of quotes. Um, with the right attitude and right attention, I conquered degenerative disease, chronic depression, and crippling despondency. Who or what drove you to find the right attitude? So attitude is everything, isn't it? We've heard that before. And I already gave you the answer to this, so I'll repeat it. It was the still small voice within me. There's something in me that was bigger than I am. I feel very fortunate to have discovered this. And I had to get to the worst aspects of my life. I mean, I was drunk, I was high, and I was committing suicide. And that's when it showed up. That was the deepest, darkest despair in those dark nights of holy terror that I used to go through. I used to have night terrors and all kinds of mental insanity, psychosis and, and illusions and hallucinations and all kinds of things that were just bedeviling me like crazy. I couldn't barely handle it. And in the throes and depths of that darkness, Michael, came this brilliant white light of reason that came from my heart, not my mind. And it said, you're going to make it. And as I mentioned earlier, that was the thing that changed my attitude. I got, I got sober in a second when I heard that voice. And I'm like, what the heck was that? Never heard that before. Oh, my God. And so my ego started chiming. And I'll tell you what that was. That was your, your, you know, your, your, uh, your mess-ups. I was going to say the F word, but that, those are your mess-ups and everything you've done wrong and all the mistakes you've made and what's wrong with you. And I just let that go. And so I, I learned how to control my thoughts, which is something I coach my students to do. So you can imagine why it takes some commitment to be able to do this. It's too easy to quit if you don't commit to it. To be able to change and control your thoughts, it's pretty powerful stuff. And that's where I first began to do that. The still small voice rose above the thoughts, came from a more primal place than thinking comes from. So it superseded the thoughts and the thinking. And so my attitude followed commensurately and the body followed the mind. Okay. Um, why, why? So I wouldn't have, learned, I wouldn't have learned all this stuff. I wouldn't know all this stuff and I wouldn't have studied all this stuff if I just had a normal life and didn't have any challenges, you know, except the natural mundane things that everybody has to go through, you know, making a living, putting a roof over my head and food on the table or whatever else. Uh, if I hadn't gone through all dark despair, I would never have learned the light of reason and the salvation of rising above suffering. So that, that makes me wonder, like, why do you think it is that some people are interested in coaching with you or being receptive to learning from the free material you have out there and other people aren't? Like, do you, do you see any commonalities with the people who are attracted to and open to the work you do that have they been through a really 
particularly hard time or do you think it's just appealing to some people and not to others? I see it every day to answer your question. Yeah, that's a big part of my practice is uh, talking to people and helping them understand what's possible for them. And to answer the question more succinctly here, there are certain people who are ready and certain people who are not. doesn't mean one's better than the other and one's worse. It simply means that some people are in a place where they're ready to do what they haven't done before and others want to cling to what they've always done and get what they've always gotten, even though they think they want what they haven't gotten. You know, this is why people play the lottery. It's why lottery tickets are so popular and so many people buy it, because if you win that lottery, it'll change your life. And you won't have to do anything but sit back and relax and collect the rewards. So that's what a lot of people are still doing. They want someone else to heal them. You know, they're waiting for the magic fairy dust or the pill or whatever it is to come along. And they want their lives to change without them changing anything. And that's fine. I don't try to push people out of that. I was like that myself at one time. I can understand that. It's human nature. And then there are other people who've had enough and they're ready to move on and grow. And they're ready to entertain concepts like healing themselves or taking control of their thoughts and creating their lives on purpose and having a destiny that they can be proud of. And those are the people that are the ones that come to me and work with me personally, generally speaking. Now, I also do groups with people who aren't quite there yet because when it comes to AS, there's not much medicine can do for us. You know, how many people do you know who have healed from AS through fighting it with drugs? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know any. I, I don't, I don't know if we'd hear about them though. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a fair statement. I haven't heard of any. Yeah. I mean, I haven't. It certainly didn't work for Everybody me. Everybody who's in, everyone who's engaged in fighting their condition and fighting their symptoms, and using the warrior mentality to fight their way through life, don't heal until they s stop fighting and make peace. That's when the war is over. So how, so how do you make peace? So, I know you've already kind of got into it. You make peace with yourself. And that really is kind of a spiritual practice. You can't think your way into it because there's always the duality of ego saying, oh, no, you don't. You know, you can try and tell yourself you're great and you're healing. And then that voice comes in and says, you know, that's BS. You're not really healing. Mm. You know, you're not so great. You know, you have problems. <laughs> So that's resistance and duality that keeps people from healing. Mm. So this is a big part of what I train people to understand and, and experience is how to make peace with themselves. You can do that. Everything changes. You won the lottery. Okay. Thank you. Um, why do you think changing or adopting the right attitude is so scary I, or unappealing to so many people? I guess we kind of just answered that, but well, even if it means they have a chance yeah, to Yeah, let, let me tell you. Yeah, let me tell you what that is. It's called change. And that's the scariest thing to the human being that there is, is change. Oh my goodness, who will I be if I change? What will happen? What's going to happen? So the ego, which is the cognitive mind, the thinking self, tries to protect us from changing. Even if the situations we're in right now are really bad, it's safer here than it is if we change into something that's unknown. So it's really difficult for people to change 
And you've heard the famous quote from Einstein that goes, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing day after day after day and expecting different results. That's what people are doing because they don't really want to change. Change is scary. In fact, I don't even use that word in my coaching because it'll hmm. cue on people's primordial fears. Right. So that's why, you know, they're afraid to do this, this thing called change their attitude. And, and basically, it doesn't make them bad people. It's just that they don't know how. They've never been around people who have done this. That's another thing. Who are you spending time with? Who are you spending the most of your uh, important time on this planet with? And what are you gaining from that or learning from that or experiencing from that? Because who we surround ourselves with is critically important. And most people with illness have developed support networks that support their illness. So the first thing about them that they think of is, I am an AS patient. That's who I am. And that's, you know, my family knows that. And so they don't want me to go water skiing because I could hurt myself or they don't want me to, to be taken advantage of. And so they, they build this whole mentality. This is what they're being and thinking. They build this whole mentality around, I am broken. There's something wrong with me. To make peace is to overcome that. It's to be okay with that. Okay, things are not going the way I'd like them to go. But the more you fight with it, the more it fights back. It's one of the laws of nature. Again, how life works. It was summarized by the Viennese psychologist Carl Jung when he said, what you resist persists. And what that means to us is what we fight with fights back. You know, we have a war on drugs, the drug lords fight back. We have a war on terror and the terrorists fight back. You, have a, you try to battle with your thoughts or battle with your disease and it fights back. So making peace is the change that people haven't thought of. And their culture doesn't teach them to do this. You know, if you go to a doctor, and I have nothing against doctors. I was going to become one myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you go to the doctor, they say the first kind of question, the line of questioning is what's wrong? Let's look at what's wrong. And then let's fight with it. Let's beat it into submission or get rid of it or whatever it is. And where that works and where it's useful, I'm all for it. However, with these so-called incurable autoimmune disorders, that doesn't work. There's something deeper at hand. So that's where I come into the picture. Okay. One of my... Uh, <laughs> you already covered this. Let's see what else you say about it. One of my favorite and clear pieces of advice I got from you is you heal your mind, you heal your body. Just the body follows the mind, Michael. The body follows the mind. And that's particularly true with autoimmune disorders. There's a lot of studies now that talk about what I mentioned earlier, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, or other forms of stress. This is the buried stress that we don't want to know about. We keep hidden away and locked up in the dark recesses of our minds. But it doesn't go away. It's like a computer virus in the background running a program that's messing up your beliefs and your behaviors. So when you just let it out, instead of resisting it, trying to get rid of it, trying to fight with it, trying to beat it into submission, when you just let your darkness out, it will save you. That's actually a biblical quote. What, what do you mean by let your darkness out? That which you've repressed 
The repression is what causes the ill condition. If you let it out and stuff, yeah, repressing it, saying this is bad, this is wrong, I don't want it, I don't need it, got to get rid of it. That's repressing it because you can't get rid of it by fighting with it. You can fight with your AS all you want. I've never seen anybody cure themselves by fighting it. And I've seen many, many people go into remission by making peace with it. But they have to know how to do that. They have to do it properly. You don't just say one day, okay, well, I'm just going to be okay with this and I'm going to keep suffering. Because you're really not okay with that. That's disingenuous. However, when you let what's locked up within you out, it will exalt you. If you keep it sequestered within you, it will destroy you. And there's a quote to that effect that comes from, I think, the book of Mark in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, where Jesus mentions that. So this is what's going on. People have this dark, shameful inner guilt. And it causes aspects of stress that create illness in the body. After many, many you know, months and years and years and years of carrying this guilt and shame, the body responds and reacts to it in ways that medicine doesn't understand because they don't study the mind. So we have these two departments of medicine. There's mental health and physical health. I've put the two together and understood that you don't have a mind without a body. You can't take the body away from the mind. These two things work together. And as I mentioned earlier, the common denominator is called stress. That's what causes 95% of illnesses in the Western world is stress and stress, stress-related illness, basically. So let's fight the symptoms and fight the symptoms. Well, that can help a little bit. I have free resources to help you let go of your symptoms. However, you've got to do that deep work of letting it out, releasing it. Okay. To overcome the issues in the, in the body-mind complex. Cool. Okay. Um, tell me, um, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, doctor, Take a breath. What's that? What did you say? Take a breath. Take a breath, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. Um, doctor, You're asking you, a lot of questions. Yes. It's my job. It's my job <laughs> to ask, ask these questions. <laughs> um, Dr. E. Sarno. He's, um, he's someone who wrote the book um, Healing Back Pain. I, uh, I didn't get it through... You didn't tell me about it, but I heard about it through other resources. Um, but do you, do you believe that um, Dr. E. Sarno's work applies to healing from AS? Yes, most certainly. Sarno was a man who was way ahead of his time, a medical doctor who realized the body-mind connection, who saw what was going on and studied it completely and thoroughly about what personality types are involved with what's happening in the body, and he talked about how that all runs together and how it works. And he gave some rudimentary practices to be able to help with that. However, I didn't really study Sarno's work. By the way, Sarno died pretty unsuccessful because people didn't really want to hear about it or they weren't ready for it or something. He didn't have a great, tremendous impact on the planet, and he's, most people never heard of him. But what he was doing was, again, way ahead of its time and legendary because he was a medical doctor who was bucking the trend of just selling drugs. And he said that the mind is instrumental and the personality and other structures that are happening 
emotionally are completely intertwined with chronic illness. And he dialogued and diagnosed and uh, distincted the difference between different personality types and so forth and so on, as I mentioned. Mm. Uh, but I didn't really study his stuff because I didn't need to learn more about the illness. Yeah. To me, as a medical doctor, he focused a lot on the symptoms and the illness. And my approach is the opposite of that. But together, I think we're more powerful. So I do recommend his books to people. Again, when people come to me for help with ankylosing spondylitis, which happens every day, uh, they're looking for new ways to fight. They've already done the medical stuff. They've already done the diets. They've done other things to try and help, and, and they're exhausted, and they're worn out, and they're hoping that I have some solution for them that can finally help them with remission and recovery. And so they've already been through learning all about their disease. They know more about their disease than the rheumatologist does in many cases, and there's no solution there. You have to know about healing, as I've mentioned 19 times or so, <laughs> so far here. That's what you want to learn now. So that's what I teach. And, you know, how many books did I refer you to? Uh, about Half five. a dozen or more. Yeah, five or six. So there is a lot of uh, understanding that goes along with what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarno was, again, a great man. It's a, it's a common tactic of people with AS who are interested in getting better by becoming... Oh, yes, we covered this. Okay. Um, why did it take you 25 years to, um, to share this information, to become an AS coach? Yeah, that's a great question. Why did, it, why did I sit on this for 25 years? And the answer is because I didn't think anybody was interested in it. Again, when I went through medical, when I went for medical training and I was in pre-med sciences, anatomy, physiology, pathology, and others, they weren't talking about mind-body. In fact, studies show that only 3% of Americans are even open to the concept that the mind has anything at all to do with the body. Again, stress is the quintessential condition of a mind-body situation, you know, stress is mental, it's mental stress causing a reaction in the body, but people haven't made that connection yet. So they certainly weren't ready for what I was teaching, and so I went into other fields of work as well. And it was about five years ago that uh, a person came to me and said, hey, wow, I read your book, Heal for Real, where you talk about your life experience. And in that book, I mentioned that I had AS, but it's morely about how I transcended addiction and d disease and depression. Uh, but he said, I've got AS. And did you really overcome it? And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, well, I'd like to know more about that. So I was working as a life coach at the time. And I said, all right, let's schedule an appointment for a coaching consultation. And we talked for about two months on a weekly basis. He was in uh, Hawaii and I'm out here in Arizona and he decided to move here and work with me. He had the means and the uh, ability to come here. His parents own a home here. You're talking about Skyler So he Denton. came out here, Skyler Denton, yeah. He came out here and worked with me for five months and he was in really bad shape when he got here. And he went into remission 
felt wonderful and started gaining weight and eating whatever he wanted to eat. He was on severe diets, could barely move, he could barely walk, he was really in bad shape. And he completely reinvented himself in about a four-month period when he was here. And I realized there are people that need this. So I wrote the book, Help for People with AS, and I thought I would sell a lot of books and that would be the end of it. You know, I'd just put it all in a book and have people do that. And Jose Saldana was a guy who got that book and healed himself. But basically, uh, I didn't sell many books. You know, it's on Amazon and it's on my websites and so forth. And so, but I got a steady stream of people saying, uh, I'm kind of curious about what you're doing. How can you make these claims? And so I just said, well, here's my experience and here's what I've done and experienced for myself and what I've helped others. And one by one, just helping people come along with it. So there was really no demand for what I was doing for the last 25 years. I've been in remission for 29 years. I don't even call it remission. I, I haven't had any symptoms of any kind this whole time. There was one time, remember I told you it took a, a year for me to heal. You know, the pain was gone. But through the process of changing my brain wiring, which is called neuroplasticity, that can take a couple of years to do. So that's why I did the bodybuilding and the meditating. That's what rewired my brain. So during the process of that, after about two years of being symptom-free, I woke up one day with back pain. And instantly my ego, my chattering, nattering monkey mind said, oh my God, it's back. Oh, you messed up now. Here it is. And my heart said, just stepped up and said, no, I'm not going there. I don't allow for that. That's not the case. This is just residual stiffness and soreness from your workout regimen. And by the end of the day, the pain was gone. And I've never had, that was the one time that I had some pain. It's about two years after my initial remission. And that was, you know, 29 years ago. So 27 years ago, I had some pain. And I've never had anything since then. I've rebuilt my body at the cellular level many times over. And that's what neuroplasticity and cellular mitosis does. And that's how we build out of chronic illness. And so I've been free of it for so long, I, it wasn't even on my radar anymore. Until Sky came out of the woodwork and said, hey, teach me. Yeah. Okay, amazing. What is the most... Yeah, he's an amazing guy, too. He is an amazing guy. Yeah, I, I interviewed him, too. If you guys want to check it out, check it out. Great guy. Um, what's the most common, consistent obstacle you observe in your clients with people with AS uh, that you interact with in regards to healing? So, it's a commonality. Inner contradiction. Inner contradiction. Their head is, their head is pulling them in one direction, and their heart wants them to go in another. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I definitely was experiencing that. And that's why that's why you help people find their purpose. Because then everything comes into alignment. And get in alignment with immaculate reception. What you're being, thinking, speaking, and doing turns into what you're receiving, and that's the process we use to to accomplish that function. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you coach people in any other areas than AS? You already answered that. You do. You coach people in other areas than AS. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've been a life coach for about 15 years now, and uh, I 
mostly am called a breakthrough coach or a success coach, but I have clients who are in business. I've done relationship coaching kind of uh, it's because you are the sum total of your life. You're creating your own experiences. So if you'd like to create better, newer, bigger experiences with your, with your life, you just have to know how to do so. So that's where I mostly spend my time uh, in my practice of coaching is with people who are interested in becoming happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know, and there's something blocking them. And I simply remove their blocks and it happens automatically. And then what they're talented with doing comes out naturally without them having inner, inner contradictions over it. And the rest is history. So yeah, AS was kind of an aside project. It was just something I was doing kind of charitably, but it's really growing now. And I've got, I think we built four or five websites around it. And I've got a, a group coaching club, the AS Pictures Club, where they can get tons of free resources, just hours and hours and hours and hours of training and teaching and reading and videos and audios and meditations and all this stuff. So it's taking on a life of its own. I guess I'm in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yes, you are. Peter, is there anything else that you feel we may not have covered that you'd like to add or any messages you'd like to send out to uh, anyone that might be suffering out there, might be a little bit lost and a little bit uh, curious about what you can offer them? Absolutely. There is an answer. That's what I want you to know. There's an answer to every question. There's no illness without cure. There's no malady without recovery. There's no question without answer. This is a hermetic principle, one of the laws by which the universe operates. So there is a solution for you. You simply have to find it. And if you keep looking where you've always looked, you'll get what you've always gotten. And now it's time to do something different. So basically realize you have the power to overcome this. I did it and I'm no different or better than anybody else. I've learned a lot more. I've been at this for a lot longer than most people, but you can do it too. And in fact, you don't have to know a tenth of what I teach to be able to overcome your illness and your depression and your depravity and your de anything that's going wrong in your life. If you just get in alignment with your purpose and your true self, which I can show you how to do in a matter of a couple of hours and then stick with the program and continue to grow and allow it to become who you really are and what you're here for. You don't have to know all this stuff about neuroplasticity and genetics and epigenetics and all the stuff that we've studied. The solution is here. It's real. And when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Right on. Cool. Thank you very much, Peter. Hey, great. It was a blessing to be with you, Mike. I love spending time with you. Yeah. Well, every time yeah. I spend time with you, it's a great time. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show, and um, I imagine that uh, we're going to have to do this again, probably somewhere down down the line. Uh, All right, put me in a hammerlock and make me make me comply. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll do. No, it. I'd love to do it. I'd love <laughs> to do it again. Right on. Okay, brother. Have a great night, and everybody have a wonderful uh, day or whatever it is you're doing. A pleasure. Thank you again, Peter. Be well and prosper, my friend.
The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.